Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Verse 5 is where I'm going to be using for my text this morning. Uh, as we continue our series today, Committed to Contentment. Committed to Contentment. We need to be content. We need to be content. Amen? Learning to be content, especially in the culture that we are living in today, contentment is something that seems way out of reach oftentimes. It seems something that is beyond our capabilities even because we are flooded with opportunities for more uh, things that I, don't, I, I wouldn't call them necessarily opportunities. Uh, uh, we're inundated with, uh, with uh, the image of more, if you will. And a lot of times that just really feeds into discontentment and not being satisfied with where we are in our lives. Our series text is found in Philippians 4.11 and it reads this. It says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. Last week I preached from the life of David in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and our takeaways were that discontentment can cost you your peace and your calm. Has anybody ever lost your peace and your calm? You've let discontentment come in and you have forfeited your peace in the process. It's not worth it. Discontentment can cost you there. It can cost you your character. We see in the life of David how discontentment and idleness and weariness have ultimately began to cost him and break down his character of who he was. The things that he did were not representative of the, of the person that he truly had been and the person that he truly was. And over time, because he allowed that, to, that door to remain open, so to speak, uh, sin came in and different opportunities for sin came in and it cost him his character in the process. Discontentment will also conceive things that you never intended. The life of David, we see this, that he has this son that is born uh, from his scandalous affair. And uh, uh, even in our own lives, we give birth to things a lot of times from discontentment that we never intended. We, we, we break down relationships through discontentment. Uh, we forfeit our own peace through discontentment. And before long, we've, we've really created some things in our lives that we never intended to create. And then lastly, that discontentment causes collateral damage. It never just affects you. It never just affects you. It's not just about you and your sin. It's not just about you and your discontentment. But it's about the relationships. It's about the people in your life that is also being affected by the struggles that you have. And so uh, that was our takeaways from last week. Today I want to preach to you concerning guarding your heart. Guarding your heart against discontentment. Guarding our heart against discontentment. We're going to talk about closing the door to some things in our lives. And Revelation 3, 7 says this. It says that God opens doors that no one can shut, and he shuts doors no one can open. Now, for me, that has been a staple scripture in my life throughout because I have utilized that promise and that truth uh, in trying to discover what God's plans for my life are, trying to make decisions about what I should do uh, concerning different things that come along the way. Uh, I believe that this, I believe God is big enough to shut the door to things that he doesn't want me to, to, to venture into. I believe that God is able to open the doors to things that he wants me to delve into. And so I trust that when I'm praying that, that God is closing down the doors that he does not wish for me to venture in and he is opening those opportunities before me that he desires for my life. 
life. And so we believe that. Here's the truth that I want to uh, begin with this morning is that we need God to run the door. We need God to run the door of our heart. We need God to run the door of our, our heart. If He shuts doors that no man can open and He closes doors or opens doors no man can shut, then I need Him running the door of my life. I need Him deciding what comes in and what goes out. I need Him standing there at that door. You know, in Revelations 3.20, the Bible paints for us a beautiful picture of Jesus standing outside the door of our heart, and He's knocking on the door of our heart, and He says this, He says, Behold, uh, I, I knock, and if anyone open the door, I will come into them, and I will eat with them, and I will be with them. That's what the Word tells us. So Jesus is standing on the outside of the door in our salvation experience. But when we open that door and we let him come in, we need to post him at the door. We need to put him at the door. And we need to allow him to run the door of our lives. God, please guard me. Don't let anything in here, Father, that's not pleasing to you. Don't let anything get out of me, Father, that is not supposed to leave. Don't let anything in or out that's not under your discretion and under your power. Invariably invariably, if we run the door, if I run the door, I will always open it to the wrong things and I will shut it to the right things. If I run the door of my heart, I'm never going to let anything that costs me come into the door. If I run the door of my heart, I'm going to guard myself against any difficulty, against any pain, against any struggle, because I don't want that in my life. But if I allow God to do it, He works all things out to good. He is always allowing things to come into my life that is for my good and for my benefit. He's not letting anything enter in that's not beneficial to me. And the fact is that for me, And I'm just talking to me. I don't know if it applies to you or not, but I'm talking to me this morning that I don't want anything that stretches me happening. I don't want anything coming into my life that's going to push me to be more than what I already am. I don't want that coming in. And so if I have an opportunity to shut the door to that, I'm going to. And that's where we have to learn to trust God. That's where we have to learn to let Him run the door of our lives. God, if you allow me to go through it or to it, you're going to allow me to go through it. And on the other side of it is a blessing and a better version of myself. We need to be striving for better versions of ourselves. Amen? We need to be striving for better versions of ourselves and we need God running the door so that that happens. It does not happen on its own. It does not happen because of my desire alone. It happens because we trust in the Lord and we allow Him to bring us to and through difficulties and challenges and it shapes us into being what we are supposed to be. Doors that are open to the wrong things as well are things that we must guard against. If I'm not careful, I open myself up to things that I never should have opened myself up to. And they can be under the guise of good stuff. They can be under the guise of even spiritual things. But sometimes we need to shut the door to certain areas of our lives and we need to trust God to direct those steps and to to handle that process. I can get myself so caught up in doing a whole bunch of different things in my life that it's just not beneficial to me. I need to trust God to work that door. Let Him run that door. Doors open to the wrong things allow wrong behaviors to be embraced.
When we embrace wrong behaviors long enough and over time, we also begin to justify those wrong behaviors, thereby fortifying their position in our lives. They become what we call strongholds. We allow things in us that we shouldn't allow. Those things become a part of who we are and they become part of our behaviors. And over time as those behaviors become well-worn patterns of existence, then they become fortified in their position and they become strongholds. I want God guarding me, Jesus guarding me against any strongholds that are invading my life. I don't want anything in me that doesn't come from Him. Can I get an amen in the house today? Amen. Last week I said this. I said discontentment left uncontested forces new patterns of behavior and creates an ever-growing opportunity for sin. Discontentment can be viewed like this. It's like a wedge that props the door open. You, you have those, you know, we have them in the church. We, we pop down the little deal and it holds the door open. It's like a wedge that opens the door to our hearts and it lets anything in and out that, that wants to come in and out. And if we're not careful, we're opening the door and leaving the door of our heart open and it creates an access point for all kinds of sins to enter in. We need God to run that door. We need Him to have the ability to shut the door when it's time and to open the door when it's time. Discontentment left open and left just being that wedge to the door of our heart leaves access for all kinds of things to enter in and ultimately becomes a breeding ground for sin to enter into my life. And I don't want that. Ruth Simon said this. She says, What's more dangerous than falling into grave sin is to carelessly fall into sinful patterns that we don't find grave at all. I think that's worthy of repeating. What's more dangerous than falling into grave sin is to carelessly fall into sinful patterns that we don't find grave at all. The entire problem The problem with our society today is that we have fell into patterns that we no longer consider grave patterns of sin. We have embraced a culture that says certain things are okay when clearly in God's Word it says it is not okay. And instead of it just being a sin, it has turned to becoming a pattern of sin, a lifestyle of sin, if you will. And that becomes very dangerous for us because we, re, we start to get to the point where we no longer recognize the difference between right and wrong. And that's exactly what's happening in our world today. Is black is white, white is black, up is down, everything's twisted up, and truth is relative to the point that it, there is no such thing as truth. There is no such thing as truth. There is a truth. There is a truth. And it's the written word of God. And regardless of how you feel about what it says about a certain issue, the fact is it's still true, it's still relevant, and it still applies to my life today. And I have to embrace it if I'm going to find the peace and the hope that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's what I'm saying this morning is that when we start to fall into sinful patterns of sin that we no longer are convicted about, we're no longer um, challenged over, we have found ourselves in a very critical place in life. 
You know, we look back at David's life last week and, and, and we know the story. David comes out on the uh, balcony. He's not fighting the war that he's supposed to be fighting, but rather he's at home in the palace and he's up wandering around in the middle of the night. He's weary. Uh, he has uh, this idleness going on, this, just this, this wandering mentality is going on, and he is just really uh, finding himself in a place of discontentment. And before long, he's wandering out on the balcony and he's looking down and there's this beautiful woman, the Bible tells us, and she's bathing and he starts to think about uh, how nice it would be to have a relationship with her. And he goes and asks his guys to go get her and they have an affair. And before long, he has a baby with her and then he ends up killing her husband and this whole thing unfolds. It becomes a pattern, a lifestyle that ultimately just gives access to all kinds of sins. I don't think that David is a creeper by nature. I don't think that's who he is. But I certainly believe that's what he became over time. I don't think David is an adulterer. I don't think that's really who David is. But he became one over time. I don't think that David is a liar. But he became one over time. I don't think he's a murderer. But he became one over time. Why? Because he left the door open. And he became comfortable with patterns of sin that he knew in the heart of hearts and in his soul were wrong and he began to embrace them. And if we don't put God in in charge of that door and let him guard that, we are susceptible to the very same things. He wedged the door of, of his heart open with discontentment and before he knew it, he was doing things quite contrary to who he was and what he believed in. And where we find ourselves in the greatest trouble or danger is when we think it can't happen to me. When we think that we've reached a place in our own lives where we're above all that and it can never happen to me, we have made ourselves susceptible to the enemy in a whole new way. One way that we have to remove the wedge from the door is to ask ourselves the why. And a why question is a hard question to ask sometimes, especially hard to ask myself. Well, pastor, I want to do this thing. My question is to you, why? Why do you want to do that? I have people come to me on a regular basis, and I'm not going to start naming stuff this morning because really it's, it's, it's about what you feel convicted about and what you allow God to speak into your heart about. But I have people come to me on a regular basis asking me, how do I feel about this particular thing? Or how do I feel about this particular thing? First of all, if you're coming to me, that's probably a good indicator that you don't feel good about it. And you're trying to come along and, and, and goad me into being an accomplice to your conviction, sin, the sin that you feel convicted over. Second of all, the question is why? Why do you want to do that? What is it that is lacking in your life that causes you to want to fill that hole with this particular thing? And if you can't answer that why question, then I would give you pause in moving forward with anything that you want to do there. The people you have to ask why is not your peers. It's not even your pastor. The person you have to ask why, there's two people. The one is yourself, and the second one is Jesus Christ. And if you can answer, if you're the why yourself, and allow him to answer the why, then I say go for it. But if there's really no precedent in the Word of God, and there's no reason to do it, 
then we have to challenge ourselves and question or not whether we're propping the door of our heart open to some things that we don't need to prop it open to. We have, you know, this, this idea in our world today that it's really based on how I feel about a situation, whether it's right or not. You know, Pastor, I just really don't feel bad about that. What has that got to do with anything? I, I don't feel wrong about that. I, you know, I, I don't feel challenged about that. What has that got to do with anything? What does the Bible say about it first and foremost? Because there's some things that are clearly written here that are up for debate today and, and as far as our culture is concerned. And the reality is it's not up for debate. And God the final judge is going to be the one that decides whether it was ever up for debate or not. And I promise you, he's not walking and acting and, and being contrary to what his word has already established. This is the living word of God. The Bible tells us that Jesus came and became flesh and He was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was with, with God. And so if that's the case, then what is sit, uh, written on these pages is expressed in the very individual of Jesus Christ. And they're not contrary to one another. My point is this, that it's not relative. It's not relative. It's very much objective and solid as to what is the truth and what we should live by. And I'm just saying today that if the church is going to survive and the church in America is going to move forward, it's going to take some people that make up their minds that we are not going to compromise to the cries of the world and we are going to stand steadfast in the face of culture that dictates something else and I don't care what the world may say. I'm going to stand on the Word of God and I will not be moved. Amen. Now I'm going to try to preach a message to you. Matthew 5, 5. It says, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are. I would, I would clarify there and I would just say with who you truly are. With who you truly are. You are blessed when you are content with who you truly are. No more or no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Maybe that's what Jesus is talking about or referring to when he says in Matthew 16, 25, but whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We are content when we are satisfied with who we are and we've decided that we are the proud owners of everything that can't be bought in this world. When we give our lives to Jesus, when we surrender our lives into His care, when we say to Him, God, come guard uh, the door of my heart, and you be stationed there, and whatever you want from me, I want from me. And whatever you don't want from me, God, I want to reject that. Then we're saying to Him, I surrender my life to you, and I know that by surrendering my life to you, that is the only way that I'm truly going to discover what makes me happy, what makes me content, and what fulfills me. We're looking discontentment is the idea that we can find happiness and joy and fulfillment in something else or something that the world has to offer when the reality is contentment is not only found in Jesus, it is in Jesus. 
He is the source of contentment. And it's by stationing, stationing Him in my heart and at that post of my heart, then that's where I find that contentment and happiness that I'm truly looking for. Matthew 16 and verse 26 goes on to say, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the entire world and loses his own soul in the process? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I think that's powerful when you go back to verse 5 of Matthew 5 and you look at it and it says that's the moment you realize that you're the proud owners of everything that can't be bought. What does it profit a man if he gains everything in this world and loses his own soul in the process? What does it profit a person if they've sold themselves out to everything else around them and have forfeited their very identity and their very place in Jesus Christ in the process. The proud owners of everything that can't be bought. We need Christians today that will not be bought. Christians that won't be bought with the latest materialistic items, Christians that won't be bought with the sin that is thriving around us, Christians that won't be bought through losing their integrity or any other character or anything else, but people that will stand firm and say, I've already been bought with the price. It was the blood of Jesus, and I'm not surrendering myself to anything else but Him. Guarding our heart. Our goal is to get to the place where we can't be bought by the enemy's cheap offers and embrace that our lives are only ours when we surrender them fully to Jesus. That is when we will find ourselves centered in contentment. The biggest uh, objection to being a Christian is that I don't want to give up portions of my life. Do we realize today that when we say we don't want to give up certain portions of our life, we're really saying that I've decided to take the enemy's cheap offer. I've decided to dumb down or quality down who I am and accept some counterfeit that the enemy's throwing my direction. I've decided to buy into his pack of lies for my life. We can't take the enemy's cheap offers. So let me tell you some ways this morning. I'm just going to give you one just for time's sake. Um, Some ways that we can guard our heart by utilizing contentment, letting contentment guard our heart. First, contentment closes the door to comparison. Contentment closes the door to comparison. Contentment ends where comparison begins. Contentment ends where comparison begins. When I decide that I want to begin to compare my situation to others or my life to others or my qualities to others, then I surrender my contentment in the process immediately. I start giving it up. I start saying, you know, hey, uh, this cheap offer the enemy has out here on the table, I'm interested in that, and I think I might want to trade what I have for that. Contentment ends where comparison begins. I am created to be me and no one else. You are created to be you and not created to be anybody else. 
I deal on a regular basis people that find themselves in such conflict, internal conflict over who they are and how they, how they were created and, and how their life is currently. When the reality is you're never going to be happy with anything as long as you're comparing yourself to others and not really discovering who you are. When we find out who we are in Jesus Christ, that is the beginning of contentment allowing to reign in my life. That is the beginning of embracing His peace and trusting in Him. That is the beginning of it all. But the moment I begin to compare my situation to others, myself to others, then I surrender that in the process. When I compare my situation to everyone's around me, I open the door for discontentment to come flooding into my soul. I look at someone and I think, I wish I had whatever. Or I look at someone and I say, why do they have whatever? And I don't. Discontentment. I'm comparing myself to someone someone else's situation. First of all, I don't have all the information. I don't know what they went through. I don't even know if what they've got and what I perceive as some blessing in their life is really a blessing to begin with. It might be something that has taken them down. So I don't have all the information. And so when I start to compare, I'm really doing that at a disadvantage. I look at someone, I think, I wish I had what they have, or why do they have this and I don't? Or why are they so and I'm not? Why are they so fun to be around and I'm not? I don't think it hurts for us always to ask some of those questions, but we have to do it from an evaluative point, not a comparative point. We do evaluate our lives, right? I mean, we have to evaluate where we are. If we don't, we've become complacent and we're happy with where we are and we're not advancing forward. We're leaving no room for growth and so nothing good's going to come to us because we have, have filtered out the growth in our lives. So it's critical that we stop along the way and we evaluate our situation. But the only person that I need to compare my situation to is me. I evaluate it based on what my potential is, what my difficulties are, what my abilities are, where God is speaking to me and where God is working in my life, I evaluate it on those points, not based on what somebody else has. It works towards blessing, but it also works toward uh, complacency in the sense that uh, when I was a kid and I would sit on the, uh, the pew of church, I knew I wasn't living right sometimes. Not very often, but sometimes. And I would feel strongly convicted about, about something that I was dealing with in my, in my heart. And I would know God was prompting me to go to the altar and make it right. But I don't want to go to the altar. Everybody's looking at me. It's what you hear. It's what you think. And so I would look down the road at somebody that I knew was a bigger sinner than I was. And this is the way I would work it out in my mind. I would think, well, if they get up and go, then I'll go. Because if they're okay, then I know I'm okay. And you can laugh and smile, but probably everybody in this room's done that themselves it really has nothing to do with the person down the road has going good in their life or has going bad in their life it has to do with my relationship with Jesus Christ my, my own relationship with Jesus Christ and what is he requiring of me it's about stewardship 
It's about stewardships. And so I do have to evaluate myself based on stewardship. But comparison is where the enemy begins to triumph in that situation. It's where he begins to get a foothold and he begins to get an edge and he begins to begin to knock down who we are, what we are, and begins to make us feel like we are inadequate. When I compare, I allow the enemy to begin to create a sense of injustice in my life against a God who claims to be a provider, a God who claims to be one who blesses, a God who claims to be a God who wants to give me the very best. I let the enemy begin to create a sense of injustice. Then why do they have and I don't? If God, you're really fair. If God, you're really a provider, then why are you not meeting my need, but yet you're meeting their need? God, do you not see that I teach Sunday school class? And they don't lift a finger to do anything. Yet you're blessing them and you're not doing anything for me. It has nothing to do with them has nothing to do with them. Whatever state I'm in, I have learned to be content. We say things like, if God was fair, then He would pay me what He owes me. Now, we're too spiritual to use the word pay, so we insert bless instead. If God was fair, He would bless me in this situation. When really what we're saying is if God, you're a fair God, you give me what I want, you take care of what I perceive I need, and you make it happen for my life. Not trusting in His sovereignty and ultimately trusting in His power. It's about trust. It's about trust. Another problem with comparison is this, that it creates a false reality in our minds by comparing our behind the scenes with everybody else's highlight reel. It's my worst compared to their best. If you're comparing what happened to you this morning based on what you were seeing in others around you, you are missing out on the whole picture. Because people that are coming into this room today, they may have had a knockdown, drag out fight out in the parking lot or on their way to church but when they get here they're going to straighten their clothes, they're going to put their smile on and they're going to give you their best and that's all you see but when you come in here you realize that you just had the fight of your life and you come in and you're looking and you're like I don't know why I can't have a marriage like them they're just always so happy their kids never act up, little do we know, right? Little do we know. And it's so true. We are making observations with little to no information. And the enemy will jump on your shoulder and jump on my shoulder and tell us how we're inadequate, how we're insufficient, how we don't have our junk together, when in reality everybody's in the same bowl with holes in it and we're all trying to paddle and get through the process. We're all bailing water just as fast as we can. How many of you watched Shark Week this week? Good Lord. What have y'all been doing all week? I'm telling you right now, in some of those waters, I could bail some water. Could you? I could. And the fact is, we got sharks swimming all around us. The enemy. And our boat may have some holes in it. But fortunately... We don't rely on the boat to get us through because if Jesus needs to, He can help us just walk on top of the water, right? 
Amen. We compare our worst to others' best. You know, ladies, she may look good in that outfit, and you look at her and you wonder, what in the world is she doing? But she has stretch marks just like you do. He may look successful. He may look like he has it all together. But we don't know the debt and the stress and what it's really costing him on the inside. We are only looking on the outside. When we compare our level of happiness with what we perceive as someone else's level of happiness, we are opening the door to discontentment. And here's the truth, that perception may be reality. I mean, it may be something that we see and we base our world on what we see. But that does not necessarily mean that it's truth. We perceive dimly. We perceive with little to no information, oftentimes. But what is the truth? The truth is that regardless of what is going on around me, regardless of what somebody else has that I don't have, I trust that God is blessing me at the level that I can be blessed. I trust that God is at work in my life at the level that I am allowing Him to work. And I trust that whatever I am facing in my life right now, it is the very best situation for me to grow and become more like Jesus. I trust Him. I trust Him. What we call comparison, a lot of times the Bible just simply calls coveting. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. And so today I just want to challenge everybody in the room to a couple of things. First of all, to let Christ run the door. Let Christ run the door of your heart. And secondly, to close the door to comparison. Let contentment do that. Let Jesus do that. When you start to feel those things come against you and those voices in your head say to you, why don't you? Or why haven't you? Or why are you not like? Shut those voices up and say, Jesus says who I am. And who I am in Him is more than enough for where I am in my life right now. We're all on a journey. We're all on a journey to get to where God wants us to be. But it's about striving towards that, allowing God to direct our steps and believe that He has our best interests in mind, trusting His sovereignty, trusting in His power and allowing Him to call the shots. If you'd stand across this place this morning as they come to the piano. I'm going to continue kind of in this vein over the next week. And I just encourage you, don't miss any because I believe that it will help you. It's helping me. And uh, I, just, I just know that God wants to settle in our hearts um, some contentment and some peace uh, to let us rise above all the, the chaos and the confusion around us and to center ourselves in Jesus Christ and find the contentment that comes from Him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if our altar workers would come this morning. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, 
you're not letting Him run the door of your heart. You've tried to do it, but every time that you do it, you find that you're letting things in that you shouldn't, and you're closing the door to opportunities that God's trying to, to bring your way. And so if you're here and you say, that's me, Pastor, and I'm ready to let God call the shots in my life. I'm, letting, I'm ready to let Him run the door. He's standing at the door and He's knocking this morning. Just like I said, and if we will open the door, He'll come in. And He will guard the, the door of our heart and He will bring with Him the very peace and contentment and the hope that we need to find fulfillment in our lives. If you're here this morning and that's you and you say, I need God to run the door, would you just simply put your hand up in the air and put it right back down? Nobody's looking around. This is between you and God. Yes, amen. Hands going up. Come on. If that's you, amen. Hands going up all over the, the room this morning. God is dealing with you. God is here he is your friend. He is your advocate. This church supports you and loves you and wants the best for you. If that's you and you say, that's me, Pastor, I've got to let him run the door, would you put your hand up and put it right back down if you haven't have yet to do it? Amen, amen, amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to take a big step here. I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat. I'm going to ask you to come and find one of these people to pray with you in the altar and they will lead you to Christ this morning. And so without hesitation, without considering it, just step out of your seat right now and make your way forward to the altars. Come on. Come on. Step out. Step out. Let's go. Move. Don't just stay there. Don't let this moment pass you by. But step out of your seat and let someone lead you to Jesus this morning. Would you come? Come on. Come on. Several hands went up across this house this morning. And you said, yes, I want to make that commitment. I want God to run the door of my life. Come on. This is between you and God. Nobody's looking around. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Would you come? Come on. Come on. Take that step. Take that step. It takes courage. It takes tremendous faith. It takes a willingness to step out and let God begin to change the situation. Would you come? You're sure. Say come to the river.